0: Well, can your pastor give a 20-minute message? Well, you're about to have the opportunity to discover that, Uh, and hopefully I can. Uh, I hope you uh, picked up a a copy of uh, your sermon notes. Uh, We're coming down the uh, home stretch in our study of the book of Philippians, as uh, today we enter the last chapter, uh, which is an exhortation to stand firm uh, in the Lord. Uh, Let's begin by looking at the review in your sermon notes. As we enter the last chapter of Philippians, it is important to never lose sight of the book's beautiful presentation of the fourfold Christ in relation to the experience of the believer. When we began this study, I shared with you, this is the very heart and soul of the book of Philippians. This is the thing that needs to capture your heart, grip you, and embrace you and uh, where you live it out. Uh, Chapter 1, Christ our life. Uh, Key verse is 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die gain. The application, live for Christ in all circumstances. Chapter 2, Christ our mind. The key verse, 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The application, we're to love like Christ. In all relationships. And then chapter 3. Christ our goal. The key verse is 14. I press on toward the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. The application. We're to look to Christ. In all decisions. Chapter 4. Christ our strength. The key verse 13. I can do all things. Through him who strengthens me. The application being lean on Christ. In all challenges. Now before we look at the overview of Philippians 4, let me make a very important observation. Uh, Take your Bible and open it up to the fourth chapter of Philippians and, and look just at the first verse. Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul wrote, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord My beloved, that command to stand firm in the Lord here in the last chapter is actually a repetition of the very first command Paul gave in the book, which set the tone and the theme for the entire book. Go back to chapter 1 and look at verses 27 and 28, chapter 1 verses 27 and 28. Paul wrote, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. We have seen throughout our study of Philippians that the church at Philippi was suffering persecution under the Roman Empire, while at the same time false teachers were trying to infiltrate the church to lead them astray from the true gospel of Christ. And then on top of all of that, there was internal conflict in the church. It was centered around two women that are mentioned in Philippians chapter 4, and that internal conflict threatened to divide the church and render it impotent in the face of the opposition that they were dealing with. So the great challenge for the Philippian church was to stand firm, united in their efforts to advance the gospel. As Paul closes the book in the fourth chapter, he returns to this need for the church to stand firm in the Lord. So look now with me at the overview of Philippians chapter 4 there in your sermon notes. The command in verse 1 to stand in verse 1 to stand firm in the Lord is the leading thought in this closing chapter 4. Like soldiers on the front lines of battle, believers are admonished never to give up or retreat in the face of persecution, temptation, or adversity, but to remain faithful to Christ and advance the gospel. And then in chapter 4, Paul shares seven ways to stand firm in the Lord. And you see the seven ways listed there in your sermon notes. First, stand firm through harmony In the church, that we'll briefly look at today. Second, stand firm through joy in the Lord. I think of Nehemiah's statement the joy of the Lord is your strength. Three, stand firm through graciousness towards others. Four, stand firm through God's peace that's found in prayer. Five, stand firm through right thinking. Six, stand firm through contentment with Christ. And then seventh, stand firm through sacrificial giving to the cause of Christ. So look with me now at this need to stand firm through harmony in the church. And let's read together verses uh, 1 through 3 of uh, chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Judea and I urge Synthica to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of Christ, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now look at those two important points that you find there in your sermon notes. The appeal to live in harmony in the Lord in Philippians 4.3 is not an appeal for unity at the expense of... Of foundational truths of Christianity. When fundamental gospel truths are at stake, there's often a necessity to divide. Uh, turn over to Galatians chapter 1. We see an example of that there. Galatians chapter 1, and Paul wrote this in verses uh, 6 through 9. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort, distort uh, the gospel of Christ. And let me just add here, remember the false teachers they were dealing with in, at the church of with the Judaizers, and these are the same folks right here that uh, he's dealing with in, at the church in Galatia. Uh, folks that were trying to add uh, to faith, that it wasn't faith alone, but uh, salvation was through works, through keeping uh, the law. And Paul says that's, a, that's another gospel. They've distorted it. And then he says in verse 8, but even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. So I just wanted to lay that down. That We're going to be talking briefly about unity and harmony, but it's not unity at the expense of the cardinal truths of Christianity, the the cardinal truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then look at the second point. Philippians four verses one through three is also not a hopeless appeal for perfect agreement on every issue within the church. Uh, Paul is appealing for a mental attitude in which believers find harmony in being committed to the same priority. And that priority being to exalting Christ and advancing the gospel. Now listen, this is so important. God's goal for the church, is not uniformity. Where we all look alike, where we all dress alike, where we all think alike, and we all act alike. That is not God's goal for the church. We will have different opinions on issues. That's okay. We will have different preferences on things like dress, or uh, TV, or what you do with your spare time, or Maybe how you spend your money. All those things. And and of course we're going to have different positions at times on peripheral doctrinal issues. Not the cardinal foundational truths of Christianity. but, But peripheral issues. And that's just a reality that we're going to deal with. God's goal. Now listen. God's goal is for us to maintain unity in the midst of that diversity. For us to demonstrate a love for one another that is greater than our differences with one another. And when you think of harmony, it even requires difference. Think of music. How do you build harmony? Through different notes as you develop very pleasant sounding chords. So our harmony is found in a common commitment. And that is a commitment again to exalt Christ. And to advance the gospel. Go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And you see that there. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, notice, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Notice, the one mind is that commitment to come together to exalt Christ. And to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we saw the same thing in Philippians chapter two. Uh, Look there at verse. Let's see. Look at look at verse uh, two. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. Notice united. How in spirit, intent on one purpose. And what is that purpose? Is to live Christ out. Christ's life out by being the body of Christ, And and as Jesus left heaven to come to this earth to seek and save those who are lost, the church is to invade the community in which God has placed us to bring the lost to Christ. And so it's that common mission, that common task of advancing the gospel for the glory of Christ that provides our unity. Now, let's just very simply, just in the next seven, eight minutes... Just walk through these three verses, and I'm just going to make some observations from which we can make some deductions about harmony and unity. Notice there, he says, therefore, my beloved, what's the next word? Brethren. That's a family word. Harmony in the church is rooted in the fact that believers are one family. We are one family, sharing a common father and Lord, yes, there's diversity, but what unites us is we have one father, we have one Lord, and we're committed to exalting Him, to advancing His cause. Therefore, and here's the application: I am obligated to receive as my brother or sister the one God has already received as his son or daughter. You know, it's pretty arrogant. If I'm not going to accept as my brother or sister. Someone who God has already accepted as his son and daughter. That's the epitome of arrogance. Romans 12.10 says it all. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. And give preference to one another in honor. Sounds like Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. Where it says do nothing From selfishness or empty conceit, out of arrogance and pride, but what? With humility, lowliness of mind. You're to regard what? Others more important than yourself. Not looking out to your own interest, but the interest of others. And have that same attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then look, he goes on and he says, Whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Notice. That that longing to see them, that longing to come together. In chapter 1, he talked about the intense affection that he had for the believers. So look at the point about when a believer refuses to heal a breach between another believer, the error of the division is greater than the issue that caused the breach. Because the division is an assault on the body of Christ. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 10, and you see this very, very clearly. That division in the body of Christ, from God's perspective, is an assault on the body of Christ. It's like we're cutting Him up, wounding Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. And how do you agree? Notice the similarity to what we've already seen in Philippians. That there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the, notice, the same mind. He's going back to this attitude of exalting Christ, of being committed to the same task of advancing the gospel. That that's the significant thing, the most important thing. That's what brings us together. And he says, verse 11, for I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Verse 13, has Christ been divided? And that literally reads, has Christ been cut up? And he says, that's exactly what you're doing when you allow for there to be division and breaches within the church family. And then look as he continues in verse 3, I urge Judea and Synthica to live in harmony in the Lord. I think the deduction we can make there is more important than winning the argument or holding on to a grudge is maintaining a Christ-like spirit toward one another. You know, it's very interesting to me, extremely interesting, that Paul doesn't even mention the issue. We don't know what it is. And I think there's an extremely valuable lesson there. From God's perspective... More important than the issue is maintaining the right spirit and attitude toward one another. Maintaining harmony. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there just real quickly. Ephesians chapter 4. And we see that emphasized there. Look at the first three, three verses. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Now, how do you walk worthy of the calling in which you've been called? Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing fair forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word diligent in the Greek text literally means you're to bring to this matter of unity and harmony a holy zeal demanding total dedication. As it says in Romans 14, you're to pursue things that make for peace and the building up of one another. And how do you do that? By maintaining those Christ-like qualities that he mentioned in verse 2. With all humility. What is humility? It's that going back to Philippians 2, 3. That lowliness of mind that regards my brother or sister more important than myself. Where it's not me getting my way, it's me serving them. What is gentleness? Gentleness, that's the word meekness. That's strength under control. That's me getting a hold of my anger, whether I'm a blow-upper that just explodes or whether I'm one that retreats and clams up and this sees on the inside. Meekness is that quality that brings that anger under control and uses it not as a destructive tool but a constructive tool to work through problems and maintain harmony and unity. And then he mentions patience fascinating word in the Greek text fascinating it literally means to be slow passioned. and it, and it came to mean to, to not to retaliate that when you're wrong when you're hurt that you don't strike back because that's not the way of Christ he, he what he went to the cross and took our punishment he was wounded for our transgressions and then showing forbearance is the other side of the coin I don't retaliate But what is forbearance? That's the issue of forgiveness. I I not only not retaliate, but I forgive. And folks, if we want to talk about forgiveness, I hope you heard the illustration and historical examples that Mike was giving us from Rwanda. I mean, people offering forgiveness to those who had killed their family members. Offering forgiveness to men who had raped them, wounded them, devastated, and them coming together through reconciliation in Christ and actually working together for the cause of Christ. So, what's our excuse in terms of not being willing to forgive? And then, notice forbearance to one another in love. And what's love? Is remaining loyal to one another, that we're going to stick together thick or thin, no matter what we go through. And then he ends by saying, indeed, true comrade, I ask you to help these women who have struggled in the cause of Christ, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life." And there is much that I'd like to say about that, but I don't have the time, but notice the three points. Here's where harmony is found, and you see it there in that statement. First, our common bond in the love of Christ. That's where we find harmony, which motivates us to help one another. He says, I ask you to help these women. We don't know exactly who he's addressing this to. Maybe one of the uh, key elders at the church Uh, Maybe one of his co-workers. Many people think that uh, Luke actually was left behind overseeing things in Philippi at this time. But the point is, it's our common bond in the love of Christ. It motivates us to help one another. We cannot sit back on the sidelines as believers in the body of Christ and not work together for cooperation, harmony, and unity. What's the second way we find uh, harmony? Our common task. Our common task to advance the gospel of Christ, which is greater than all other issues. He says these women who have struggled in the cause of Christ. I mean, I think of the tremendous example that we have from our soldiers with these multiple deployments they've had over the years. And you talk to these guys, and what's the most important thing? It's the mission. It's accomplishing the mission. And these guys are different. And there's tremendous diversity within an army unit. But what brings them together is their common commitment to, com- to fulfill that mission. And our mission is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, to walk as Jesus walked, to make him known to a lost world. And what should unite us is the accomplishment. And that mission is bigger than anything else. So Paul says, lay down your grudges, lay down those issues. And get involved in that one mission. Don't let anything distract you from that. And then the third thing, our common destiny, which is to live in heaven with Christ. It is totally inconsistent in the light of the unity we will experience in heaven to live in disunity here on earth. Totally inconsistent. Notice he says whose names are in the book of life. He brings them back to the fact that we saw in chapter 3 that you have a citizenship in heaven. So, Edgewood Church family, here's God's command to us. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord through promoting harmony in the church family by coming together to exalt Christ and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as the invitation is extended today... uh, Again, this has been a message to believers, and where has God spoken to you on this issue of harmony in terms of interpersonal relationships? Are there any steps you need to take uh, to initiate a harmony where maybe you've had an issue with, with someone, or a possibly a grudge that you need to, uh, to lay down? And of course, if you're here and you don't know Christ, uh, you've heard some wonderful truth today, Mike's testimony, about how through Christ... Individuals were able to forgive those who had murdered their family members. And that's the grace that God gives to believers because we have been forgiven of our sins. And God commands us, if you've been forgiven, then what? We must what? Forgive as we've been forgiven. And so I would encourage you to submit to Christ, uh, to receive Him as that gift of salvation, to know Forgiveness. So please stand as the invitation is extended and uh, you simply respond to however God's speaking to you.